0: Hello. Good morning, everyone. Um, looks like we're going on a ski trip together or something. <laughs> so you'll have to excuse the cold. Um, this is a really old building, and the machine like, fights to you know, warm up big rooms like this. And so we're on it. Uh, we have talked to the staff a number of times and trying our best to um, keep this somewhat warm. So uh, as you are, uh, keep your jackets on, put your hats on. Hopefully you have hot coffee. and uh, um, yeah, Just stay as comfortable as you can. Um, Real quickly, uh, before I jump in, or I'm going to pray, and before I jump into that, um, as Jen just prayed, uh, today is the first Sunday of Advent, and so we're in a new series, and uh, just to clear up any confusion, so last week we started our Advent series, Um, I have a friend in Texas who still reads our e-news, because he used to go to Cornerstone in the past, and he texted me, like, just making fun, like, hey, do you you dummies at Cornerstone know that Advent didn't start yet? And we know, we know, it's because, as as Jen mentioned in the announcements, December 22nd, we don't have service. Unfortunately, BFIT is closed. We have nowhere to go, and so we're encouraging y'all to go all over the place to different churches. But the pastors, we didn't want to miss out on any Sundays of Advent, so we decided let's just bump one a little early, pretend that it's Advent, and we'll just continue and still do the full uh, month's worth of messages on Advent. So today is the first Sunday of Advent, it's December 1st, and we're looking forward to Christmas, um, and we'll continue on with our series. So I'd love to just invite you to pray with me one more time, and then we'll jump in uh, to God's word together. Lord Jesus, we're here this morning uh, because of you. Because of your sacrifice, because of your love and your grace, your mercy to us, because of your work on the cross, because of your birth on Christmas Day. Without you, we have no purpose, no meaning. Without you, we have no reason to be here. Without you, we wouldn't even be qualified to. But because of you, we're not only able to be here, but we are invited, welcomed, beckoned, called to be here. In your presence and to be among each other and other believers and celebrating the birth of our Savior Jesus so we're here because of you we will also want to be here for you that you would be greatly pleased in everything that we have to offer and everything that we do and everything that we share and sing and listen to and speak about for every conversation and handshake and hug for every prayer We pray that it would be a delight to you because you are just our greatest treasure. And I pray that this Advent, this Christmas season, will remind us of how much we have been given, how greatly blessed we are, and how good of a God that we serve. So be praised higher than everything in this world, higher than anything in our lives, higher than any worldly power, Or if anything that we deem significant, would you be placed higher than those things? And we, just as your people, just rejoice in you now, as we hear your word, as we delight in our most high, perfect, almighty God. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So today, I'd like to start by talking about a holiday. And... I'm not talking about Thanksgiving, although that's probably what you assume because we just celebrated Thanksgiving a few days ago. Some of you are probably still full from Thanksgiving, so you definitely remember it, and your your, uh, fridges are stocked with leftovers. Um, And I'm not going to talk about Christmas, well, at least not yet. I actually want to go backwards a little bit to October. So, this holiday that I'm talking about takes place on the second Monday of every October, every year, and for this year, it was just about a month ago on October 14th. That holiday I'm talking about is Columbus Day. Now I haven't said anything about the holiday yet other than the fact that it takes place in October on a Monday and its name is Columbus Day. And I think already some of us are starting to feel certain opinions or feelings about it. Many of you or maybe some of you are already thinking, Pastor Danny, you shouldn't call it Columbus Day. It's Indigenous Peoples Day. And I think to a varying degree of all of us here, uh, we recognize that, as Columbus Day is is a really good example, that holidays that we celebrate year in and year out could use some reform, could use some reflection from the people in that society or that culture that celebrates that holiday, and maybe making appropriate changes when necessary. And I agree. I think these really great movements that are happening for us to look at holidays, to critically examine them, to see what is the proper way for the people in that culture to react and to respond. So as I just mentioned, today's the first Sunday of Advent. So why am I talking about Columbus Day? The reason why I bring it up is because I wish that Christians were as sensitive about Christmas, were as passionate about maintaining the true meaning of Christmas, were as fervent about fighting against what is wrong or misleading about Christmas and we're as protective over Christmas as many in our culture are leading by example over Columbus Day. See, I think many of us have made that jump, Indigenous Peoples Day. We don't really need the reminders or the convincing, but in contrast, year after year, my heart somewhat gets burdened every Christmas by how Christians and how many churches are just as secular as the unbelieving world when it comes to this holiday. When it comes to one of the most important days of all history that is solely about Jesus Christ, so as we begin this advent season, I want to encourage all of us to reorient our hearts, our minds, to recenter, to refocus. I, I know it's this overused, cheesy line that is also secularized, but as you're hearing me in this context of the word of God and of Jesus to, re, uh, to, to, to bring and go back to the real, true meaning of Christmas and making it solely about celebrating the birth of Jesus. This year we're calling our Advent series Promises Fulfilled and Ongoing and because that's what Christmas is precisely about. It's about the birth of Jesus which points to a promise-keeping, a covenant-making, a mercifully loving God who in the incarnation came through in every single way that was promised and hoped for. Christmas is a celebration of that God. And so today, uh, in the text that we're about to read, I want us to focus just on one simple but very important and significant promise, a declaration that was made in the Christmas announcement that matters to us certainly every December of every year but every single day that we follow Jesus. So this morning we'll read from Luke chapter 1, 26 through 33. So here God's word for you this morning. In the sixth month, angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. To a virgin, betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son And you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. For this morning we'll focus on the last two verses of this passage. On this promise, this declaration that the angel Gabriel makes concerning Jesus. And we we reread. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So the angel Gabriel comes to Mary with this announcement about who Jesus would be. He's the king. He's the king of kings whose kingdom is eternal forever. It will have no end. And this is promise fulfilled. God has already spoken this to his people through the prophet Isaiah many, many years before, and these passages are parallel. I'll read Isaiah 9, which is a very famous passage, and what you'll notice in both of these things that Luke is writing and then Isaiah is, is there's so much of two particular things in the language. First, kingdom language, kingship language, and secondly, eternality, forever, it will not end. Hear God's word from Isaiah 9. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. In both Isaiah's prophecy and Gabriel's announcement, it's clear about who Jesus is and what his birth, what Christmas would be about. Christmas is about a king being born A kingdom that is beginning, that will never, ever end, will never cease. And so the question to all of us, as we reorient ourselves, is do you ever think about that at Christmas time? Do you think about Jesus' kingship, the eternality of his kingdom? Do you think during Christmas about a God who perfectly fulfills every promise that he has ever made, and who is so powerfully reigning over the world and in your life? When the second Monday of October comes around, we quickly think of Indigenous Peoples Day. What happens when December 25th comes around? What do we think about? Holiday travel, maybe family time, gift-giving, photos to send to our neighbors. See, December 25th is a day that reminds us that God is a promise-keeping God. And Jesus is our reigning, everlasting King. See, what makes it hard is that it doesn't always feel that way, does it? When you look around the world, it's not only easy to forget that Jesus is king, but sometimes it feels like he has no power at all. He, like he's powerless. It's like something or someone else or some nation is in control, not God. And when we look at the micro kingdom of our personal lives, it certainly sometimes doesn't feel like Jesus is in control. Sometimes, sometimes our hearts kind of burn and, 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 and struggle with even wondering if Jesus is present at all, not, not that he's in control and so today i just want to address two ways that matter to us so closely and importantly as this reminder of christmas that jesus is reigning and that his kingdom will have no end i ask and hope for all of us that we remember every christmas that firstly that jesus is reigning over the darkness in my life in your life in our lives this is what we need christmas for to remind us that he is the reigning king even over the struggles and the difficulties and the things that you are wrestling with today. See, many of us are carrying around burdens and have heaviness on our hearts, and statistics show that somehow depression and anxiety actually increases when the holidays roll around, which is kind of backwards. It, It sounds odd. Like, shouldn't we be happier during Christmas time? Every TV commercial, Every advertisement is full of people smiling and laughing and wearing Santa hats, and every radio station playing songs that speak about happiness. You know, one of the most iconic songs, don't worry, I'm not going to talk about chestnuts. <laughs> Hashtag, ha- chestnuts gates. It's called, It's the most wonderful time of the year. You know? It's the most wonderful time. Nobody knows the rest of the lyrics, right? I didn't. It goes, na, 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 na and cheer, is the most. Here, let me show you the lyrics. It's the most wonderful time of the year, with the kids jingle-belling and everyone telling, you be of good cheer. It's the most wonderful time of the year. It's the hap-happiest season of all. With those holiday greetings and gay happy meetings when friends come to call, it's the hap-happiest season of all. So why are people so depressed in the hap-happiest season, most wonderful time of all? See, the culture would like to, uh, like for us to buy into this twisted lie about Christmas. See, what we're told is that Christmas is a time that's going to make you happier because you're going to be with family and you're going to be in gatherings, you'll be vacationing from work, you'll probably receive a number of gifts under your tree, and all of these are things are positive and great. But I think all of us get hit with the very obvious reality that none of those things can actually do anything to help you in your darkness. Christmas, the secular holiday, cannot do anything to lift it. Vacation time can be relaxing, true, but vacation time cannot renew your soul. Gift-giving can be enjoyable and fun, but does that do anything about your emptiness? Time with family can be time well spent and worthwhile. But does that solve loneliness and restlessness? Christmas, the secular holiday, fails miserably. And so I think, I mean, I'm not God and I'm not all-knowing, but in my estimation, the reason why depression and anxiety increases as the holiday time corresponds is because we believe that it's supposed to make you happier and our expectations are crushed once we realize that if I'm struggling with depression, Getting a little gift wrapped under a tree is not going to help me. See, this holiday season, maybe you're with me. I've been wrestling, too. Um, The past couple weeks, my wife has been away in Korea to attend her grandfather's funeral, and so that was tough. Just being right smack dab in the holidays. She missed Thanksgiving with us. Um, It was tough being away from her her for that much time and not being there for the family. And general mourning of, of, of the passing of a loved one. And then holidays are also tricky for me, personally, for my side of the family. Um, Because it's all about gathering with family. And and that's what everyone and everything keeps telling me. And then when I get to the gatherings, all I can think about is who's not there. My mom's no longer with us. My dad moved down south, and he refuses to come up for holidays. So it feels like there's all this darkness, right? or difficulty, at least. And I come to realize, as I'm sure many of you do, or maybe we just don't put words to it, but I'd like to say it now, and I've already said it. Time off from work, eating home-cooked meals, getting a gift, that's not going to help me. That's actually not going to make me feel the joy that is promised to me at Christmas. To me, somebody saying, it's smile, it's Christmas, shouldn't you be happy? The, the equivalent in my head is like, if you were with a starving person and saying, you should be filled, look at these pictures of food. Are you, are you, are you starving to death or do you have no water? Here, let me show you a video of people drinking water. That does not help you. You must eat and drink in order to be nourished. And in the same way, likewise, the joy of Christmas can only come when we are properly satisfied by what it's really about. The real truths of Christmas are given to God given to us by God and it must be digested by our hearts, not by just this empty celebratory culture that's around us. Christmas's effective power comes when it is rooted in pointing us to the God the only God who can bring light into dark places. Christmas reminds us that Jesus is king, that he's fully in charge and reigning in your life, even over the things that are burdening and heavy to you. He's the only one that can actually legitimately heal wounds and relieve pain and replace all those things with joy. Christmas, without it pointing to Jesus, is just another day on the calendar with no significance. What gives December 25th significance is that it's a reminder to us that God is reigning, that Jesus is king, that he overcomes darkness with a marvelous light. And because of Christmas, we can receive this promise. Hear this word from Revelation 21. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Notice where he's sitting. Where he is right now is on a throne. Raining. And here is his promise to you, sons and daughters, on this Christmas. He will wipe away every tear from your eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. You see, I need this reality so much more than anything else at Christmas. The one reigning on the throne promises me that there will be a day with no mourning, nor crying, nor pain. I hope Christmas to you is so much more than getting time off from work. I hope Christmas is so much more than decorating a pine tree that's inside your living room. <laughs> should be outside. <laughs> I hope the Holy Spirit will shepherd your thoughts to what Christmas really is. Fulfilled promise. Perfect kingship, loving reign over the areas of darkness in your life. Secondly, I hope Christmas reminds you every single year that Jesus is reigning over the darkness in the world. You see, Israel had been waiting, like yearning actually, not just waiting, like yearning for God to show that He was, in fact, a promise keeper, a deliverer from darkness. And in the birth of Jesus, the incarnation, the world received in the most emphatic fashion this confirmation that God is in control, He's fully in charge, and it's through His Son Jesus that He would show us the power of His perfect and good kingdom. So, this is what Christmas is it's that powerful display that there's a lot of messed up things on this planet, it's really, really broken. But in Gabriel's announcement in Jesus' birth on the Christmas day, God showed us, I know things don't look right, but I'm making it right, and I'm going to make it perfect one day. And this is a reminder we need every Christmas, right? Jesus is in power, and he is in control. The reason why I say this, that we need Christmas to be this reminder for us every time we flip the calendar and turn to December, is because if you're anything like me, what your eyes see Starts to control what your heart feels and what your mind believes. And my eyes do not seem to tell me that any good God is in, is in control. When we think about Jesus reigning over the darkness in the world, my eyes start playing tricks on me. Think about it. Think about when you see the political climate in just the US, for example. What your eyes tell you is that Jesus is not here, he's out of control. Things are tanking and going south. Listen, next year, if Donald Trump wins again, some of you all are going to think it's the apocalypse, right? I know it. People joke, oh, I'm going to move to Canada. I think you actually might if next year he wins again. We think, where is God? There's a crazy person in the Oval Office. Think about the political climate around the world, which we are so incredibly spoiled, by the way. Think about Hong Kong. North Korea, how many years have we been talking about the Middle East? Is God in control there? Does Jesus have power? When you think about animosity towards the church, doesn't, don't your eyes tell you that Jesus has lost its grip? Many of us are fearful of being Christians. We don't want our co-workers or our bosses to know. Would you ever evangelize openly or talk about your faith very openly to anybody in your office place or in your school? We get afraid. Think about evangelism. When we evangelize, I think it seems like Jesus has no power. I confess that if I were to speak about Christ to somebody, my assumption, which is based on fear, is that they're not going to want to hear from me. What about missions? We definitely sometimes feel like Jesus is no king over missions. All these nations where we're going to be persecuted, where we need to use code languages and be afraid of what's going to happen. And when we see human suffering in this world, Disaster after disaster, war after war, homelessness, hungry people on the street, when people are driving like, the, like million dollar cars while others are starving to death, people without access to health care. Our eyes can tell us we're losing. Where is, where is this, this king? He's powerless. And in some sense, if we think through a worldly lens, it's kind of true. So I actually thought and sat down this week, and I thought, what, what makes something powerful? What gives something power? And this is maybe isn't a perfect list, but th- these, this is what I, I thought of. When I think of a powerful thing, person, country, company, like whatever, I thought, OK, well, you have to have resources, money, oil, information, data, maybe a unique skill set, some sort of resource to make you powerful. There has to be people involved, whether it's followers or employees, customers, voters, give you power, armies, soldiers. And then influence, your message, your product. People have to be buying what you're selling. Your ideology, people need to buy into that. And so some sort of combination of these three things, I thought, okay, that's powerful, or that gives something or somebody power. So let's hold the church up to these standards, shall we? Resources. The church is not exactly where the money's at, is it? There aren't many of you who are in college right now, you're thinking, I'm going to go to seminary because I want to support my family. I can't wait to be a missionary so I can have financial security. You know how many seminaries are closing their doors and laying off professors right now? because of money how many pastors church workers missionaries have to stop what they're doing and either quit or be bivocational, work two jobs just to get by how many church budgets are razor thin we just mentioned i mean we're not razor thin we're healthy but december 22nd we can't have church because we don't own this building we don't even have full control of our ministry because of money Let's talk people, followers, influence, army, soldiers, some sort of people. Statistics seem to be telling us, even according to Christian magazines, that young people are leaving the church in, in like, flocks. That once people go to college, they lose their faith. The climate around the world, it seems like people are really, not just unfavorable, but maybe even disdainful towards the church. So what about the people inside? Inside the organization is a bunch of unqualified sinners, broken people with junk. And then let's think about the leaders on the inside. How many famous pastors are we, do we need to check off who've fallen from grace, who failed miserably? Even most recently, the leader of all leaders, Bill Hybels, the, 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 the marriage guru, Joshua Harris, who left his wife. Even the people on the inside are broken and messed up. And then if we take out our Bibles and think, hey, look at all of our biblical heroes. They're all poor scumbags who, who are fallen in every single way. So 0 for 2, <laughs> not doing too well in that category. And then influence, I already mentioned this. We, the culture is going the other way. They don't want to hear what we're buying, or they're not buying what we're selling not general fans of Christianity around this world, and in terms of influence, we're not doing so hot. So if all of this is the state of affairs now, why are we still here? If this is what's powerful on earth, then it would seem to be true that Jesus isn't reigning, that he isn't powerful, and then my conclusion would be that by every worldly standard, the church should not be here. Things should have fallen apart a long time ago. Why are we still here? It's because God does not run on worldly power. He does not function based on worldly rules and expectations. We're still here because a virgin girl gave birth to a baby named Jesus. And in his birth, his kingdom was inaugurated in powerful, emphatic fashion. God showed up and said, I am the most high. And it's in Jesus we we find God's kingdom that was never broken, never threatened, never compromised, and that will never, ever, ever end. We're still here because Jesus is still reigning. Church has no money. People are supposedly leaving in flocks and this and that. But God is still in control because while all those things seem to be happening and everyone wants us to freak out, here's what I'm seeing. I see churches being planted left and right and thriving in places that they have no business thriving in. I see missionaries being sent to every single corner of the world. Did you know that the Bible keeps getting translated in these small languages that none of us have even heard of? I hear of secret house churches in thriving in nations where they would go to jail if they were found out. The gospel is being preached to people young and old. Apparently, college students lose their faith, but I do not see that. Thank you, Ben. Can I get an amen, college students? College students are not only supposedly not leaving, they're definitely not leaving, they're leading in their faith. College students are leaving. Come to freaking cornerstone, and we'll show you what's up. The good news is being sung and translated into language after language. The Christian music is making a dent in the industry where not just churches are being filled, stadiums are being filled with people praising Jesus. The lost are being found and people are being baptized all around the world where supposedly we should have failed long ago. Worldly wisdom and logic would like for us to believe that the church should not be here, but we are. Because Jesus is seated on his throne and he's never ceased to reign over everything. And sometimes our worldly view and lens of everything says there is no God, he's not here, he's absent. But he is absolutely in charge and perfectly loving and good. Right now, as I speak, he's seated on the throne being worshiped. Every Christmas, From the declaration of Gabriel, we're reminded he is fully reigning over the darkness in your life, but over all the things in this world. And we need that confidence, don't we? You don't need more presents every Christmas or more things. I'm yearning for something so much more than that. I don't know about you. But when it seems like everything is crumbling down, what I need is a message from this angel saying that the Savior is born, and of his kingdom there shall never be an end. And I want my Christmas celebration to be about that. I want, if I'm gathering with my family, I want it to be about that. If I'm singing songs that are Christmas songs, I want to sing about that. If I'm giving gifts, I want it to be based upon and founded in that. See, while things seem dark, what we need to be reminded is that Jesus has never loosened his grip on all of us and is making things right. So two ways that we can respond real quickly. The first is that if, you're, if you've lost hope, if you've lost faith, if you've lost the meaning of Christmas, If you feel like Jesus has lost control over your life, I want to ask you just to receive assurance from this word, from his word, from the announcement of Gabriel the angel and from his birth. If you feel like darkness is surrounding you and it's overcoming you, be reminded, be assured of God's power that any amount of light pierces through even the greatest amounts of darkness. Take assurance in that today. And secondly, I'm about to say something you've heard too many times, and I'm asking that you hear it as if it's the first time you ever heard it before. I'm pleading with all of us here to renew the real meaning of Christmas. And I don't mean, everybody says that, secular people say that, atheists say that, and what people mean when they say that is be moral, be good, be kind, donate some money, volunteer on a Saturday morning at a homeless shelter, That's what the world means when they say renew the real meaning of Christmas. And I'm not discouraging any of those things because those are expressions of Christmas or fruit that come out of the goodness of Christmas, but they're not the reason that we celebrate Christmas. There is a clear distinction. Give your money away, please, donate. But we do not celebrate Christmas for the sake of morality. Renew your mind. Start uprooting things that have been dug into you that was placed there by culture, not by God's word. Renew those around you. Challenge the people around you. Raise your children in a way that they don't have to go through this uprooting because in your family, you taught them that way. When we think about Christmas, what is the first thing that we think about? Reflect on our actions. What's going to take up most of your time this year celebrating Christmas? Parents, if you want to know, ask your kids, say why do we celebrate Christmas? They'll tell you the honest answer. Because for all of us, there's two things that are going to influence us. It's one or the other. And only one letter difference in these two words. One is world, and the other is word. Just remove or add the L. And so, parents, your kids are either going to be raised by the world in their understanding of Christmas or by the word. And it's up to you. For all of us, we are either going to be more influenced by the world or word. Let us be the people of God that renews this day, that renews this holiday, that celebrates for the right reasons, where our expressions are giving glory and worship to God that sharpen and remind each other that even if you are wrestling with a heavy, heavy darkness, that Jesus is overcoming it, that he's already defeated it. Allow Christmas to be a reminder that helps you endure and persevere when things are difficult. And let us be seeking things rooted in this true meaning. We celebrate Christmas because of promise fulfilled and ongoing. a a promise that is sustaining us now, that he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end.